Let's pray before we do. Lord Jesus, we, we honor you and pray that your word may find a lodging in our hearts. We can process thoughts and forget them. That's the way our minds work. But we pray for things that lodge deeper in our beings, that motivate us, that correct us, that teach us, that lead us, that feed us. Holy Spirit, help us together now. We, we come to be fed and led and directed by your word of truth, every one of us. Amen. Philippians 6, verse 21. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter. We've, we've finished looking at the armor of God and all prayer last week. CDs are out there. Paul says, I'm going to send Tychicus, our delivered bro- beloved brother, to you. And a faithful servant of the Lord. And he will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I'm sending him to you for this very reason. To let you know how we are and to encourage you. Your hearts. Let's just, I'm not going to say much about those two verses. Let me just say this. Tychicus was being sent with the Ephesians to give them a more personal report from Paul and to encourage their hearts. Paul, Paul was careful not to put too much personal information into a letter, which was actually a public document, and was even going to be read in public to the Ephesian church. Perhaps we should t- take a lesson from Paul's reticence there about how much we put out in a very public space. It's called social media. How many of you regretted something you put on social media? Yeah, well, there's three honest people in the room. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> think, think twice. Think twice. Encouragement. He's going to encourage their hearts. Now, encouragement is not just the business of prophets and teachers, by the way. Every one of us is in the encouragement business. We're to encourage one another, so long as it's still called today. Is today today? Right, so they're still, we're still in the encouragement business. Notice the mention here, though, of your hearts. Your hearts. In Old Testament Hebrew way of thinking, there's very little difference between heart and mind. It's often the same word used in, in uh, Hebrew. But in the New Testament Greek idiom, heart and mind become two very different things. Very different words. And Paul uses heart, cardia, here. You know the word cardio from cardiac and so He uses the word heart. You see, our minds kind of, you know, in this language, this, this way of thinking, think and reason and, 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 and we process ideas and we remember things and we learn and so on. But the heart is more at the core of your being. It's where you feel, where you emote, where, where you have things which are deep convictions about things. And sometimes you, things you can't even put into words. Yeah. It's your heart Yes? We can talk about a heart being filled with love, filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with awe, or a heart that is broken, aching with sorrow. How many of you have ever felt that real hurt in your heart? How many of you have felt real joy in your heart? You can't even, you don't know whether to laugh or dance or whatever. You just, because it's more in here than you can get out there somehow, you know? So in concluding his letter, Paul is bringing us back to the heart of the matter. Tychicus is being sent to encourage your hearts, but he goes on. Because the next two verses, Paul writes, and these are his final words of this letter to the Ephesians. About the heart of the matter. Peace to the brothers, they include sisters. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that the heart of the matter? Yes. Yes. Paul's blessing here is remarkable. It's different from others, different from other letters. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus. The first sentence concerns things that come to our heart from God. Grace, love, peace, faith, 
come from God. And the place they're supposed to land is not just in our heads, but in our hearts. But the second one concerns what returns from our hearts to the Lord. Undying love. So to the heart, peace, love and faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, love, faith, grace, hope, all come to us from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. They flow from heaven. We don't make them. They're not part of something we manufacture. They're inseparable in Scripture. They're really part of a whole deal. You don't get one but not the rest. They come together. They come from God the Father and because they are ours in the Lord Jesus. Let me go back a bit to early Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ten times in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about we being in him. Christians, the church, are in Jesus. And because we're in Jesus, it's because of that that we are accepted. We are loved. We are blessed. We are strengthened. We are made wise. Because we're in Jesus. What is his becomes ours. We are in him. God places us in Jesus, accepts us in Jesus, sees us in Jesus. And so in him, in the Son of God... We have the peace of God and the love of God and we receive faith from God because, all because we're in Him. Not because of anything we do or did. And so peace and joy and love and faith come to us through Him, to our hearts. And then when they're in our hearts, they produce an outcome, they produce an effect. Fruit is the Bible language. Let's take those three words in order. There's three things Paul mentions here, peace, love and faith. Let's talk of peace first. Peace is not just the end of hostilities. You know, the end of First World War, end of Second World War, peace settlement and so on. It's what happens after that. It's the positive enjoyment and contentment in a restored relationship. So, real peace in Europe was not just putting down the weapons. It was building a new relationship between nations that had been at war. And what God has done in Jesus' Son is not just put to death put to an end the enmity that was between us and him and it was on our side we rebelled against him we said no not having it mate we're going to do our own thing yeah we rebelled we rejected him but he has made peace and peace is now the new relationship of acceptance and love and fellowship that we can have with God the Father through Jesus it's not just the end of the war it's the new relationship the new peace. Peace is contentment and enjoyment of God's mercy and grace and in himself. Not just peace and contentment in what God gives me, but in him himself. See, in any father, the gifts you give your child cement the relationship between you and them. And when the age for giving presence goes, the relationship remains. We think we, all, we've, all we exist for is to get things from God. Get more, get more, get, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But God wants our hearts. Yes. God wants our hearts. He wants relationship with us. I remember I was a very, very new Christian reading through the book of Proverbs. And a verse there jumped out like, boom, big neon lights to me. My son, give me your heart. I knew God the Father said that to me that day. My son, give me your heart. And peace is not just something that comes from God, like it, here's another bit more, another bit. In scripture, he's called the God of peace. He's expressing his character. He's bringing something of his eternal nature to bear upon us and upon our core of our being, our heart, when we know, when we experience his peace. It's a, it's, it's a flavor of himself. It's part of his glory. We were looking at Philippians 4 last week, weren't we? The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses thought. It's illogical. Unreasonable. You can't add it up and you know, figure it out. That peace of God, 
will guard your hearts and minds. Notice both of them there. Hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need the peace of God both to fill us and guard our hearts and minds. In Colossians, Paul writes, Let the peace of the Messiah, Jesus' peace, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts and be thankful. Control your hearts. In fact, the guard word is more like the kind of umpire. It's what you allow in, what you allow out. You let the peace of God make your decisions for you. Do I, have, do I sense God's presence and peace about this or am I troubled about this? Do I feel disturbed about this? Let the peace of God, God, control your hearts. The second word is love. Now, we're not talking here about romance. We're talking about the love of God. Paul doesn't write here about our love for one another. Though that's true. If we love God, we should, be love, we should love one another. Or even our love for the Lord. That comes in the very last verse, verse 24. Here, this is his love for us. There are, of course, many references across the whole of Scripture to the love of God for his children. And I like the, the way that his love is referred to so many times. His faithful love. His eternal love. His unfailing love. His everlasting love. I mean... You know, this is the people have turned these things into popular. No, 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 no. You don't experience everlasting love unless it's the love of God. From eternity to eternity, without beginning, without end, God, who is love, has shown you his love. It didn't have a beginning, it won't have an end. It's everlasting love, eternal love. And, God, and Paul has prayed in this letter to the the Ephesians, that they would know the love of God. We'll come back to that in a minute or two. Let's just skip back to Romans first. Romans 5, verse 5. Hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Does anyone here have any idea about what that means? Have you experienced that? God's love being poured into your heart? You've been just overwhelmed with a sense of God's love for you? Oh, it's happened to me quite a few times. Not all the time, but quite a few times. But the very first time was the afternoon in April, in the very early 70s, when I gave up being a rebel, God just broke my heart walking in a field at the back of our house and I, I didn't make a, you know, make a great speech of confession of faith I just sort of gave up and when I gave up suddenly I knew something like it was an overwhelming like a huge wave of God's love for me in Jesus I was just Blown away. Blown away. The love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. That is not even a one-off experience. I believe we should be receiving again and again tastes, moments, outpourings of the love of God. So the love of God may be known and experienced, not just, not just you know, intellectually experienced. Even King David, 1,000 years before Jesus came, King David in the Psalms could write about his experience, his knowledge of the love of God. Your tender mercies, O God. Your faithful love. Most of the things I quoted are from his Psalms. If a man 1,000 years before Jesus even came could know the love of God. How much more should you and I know and experience the love of God for us? The third one is faith. Let's go back to Ephesians 2. By grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. The faith is not from yourselves. It is God's gift Not from works, so that no one can boast. Faith is God's gift. 
because it is also part of the relationship within the Godhead. Jesus has faith in the Father, the Holy Spirit has faith in the Son and the Father. The Father has faith in the Son and entrusts to him the commission for the salvation of the whole world. They trust each other, totally, and depend upon one another, and submit to one another within different degrees according to their role in the Trinity. So faith isn't, uh, you know, I, I, I do knock the faith teachers very often because they, are, they miss the point so badly. We trust in God's goodness. Faith is God's gift to us, but then it's also our response back to him. Joy is God's gift to us, but then we rejoice in him. There are times we stir ourselves to rejoice in him so that we may again participate in his joy. Peace, love, received, communicated. Because our heart is like a vessel. It needs to be filled and it needs to be poured. Therefore, whatever God asks of us is for our good. Because of his goodness and because of his uh, 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 wisdom, when God requires something of us, lastingly, not temporary Old Testament laws, but lastingly requires something of us, we must accept that it is for our good. He's not been a meaning. He's not trying to restrict us. His instructions... His, his way of life that he sets out for us will be for our good. Whatever he asks us is for our good. Now that's a phrase that turns up in Habakkuk and then a couple of times in Testament. The just shall live by faith. And as I said before, that is not just a statement about how you become a Christian, but how you continue as a Christian. It's our way of life now. We live by faith. In God the Father, in God the Son, in God the Holy Spirit. We live by obedience to God. It's a continuing, enduring lifestyle. Having received faith, because we were saved by grace through faith, and we didn't make that, we didn't produce that, God gave it to us. Our hearts are changed to trust Him and obey Him. But we need to continue to grow in faith and grow in obedience. We don't just believe things intellectually. We accept that God is true. But we, we act this faith out. We, act in, we ask in prayer. We act in obedience. That's living by faith. The scripture there does not say the way you get justified is through believing. The script, that scripture, the just shall live by faith, allows that as the entry gate, but then says the rest of the way we live, the rest of our lives is by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It's a way of life. These three, peace, love and faith, God puts pause into our hearts. We only have what we freely have received from him. But having received faith, our hearts being changed to trust and obey him, we must continue to grow in faith. We don't just believe, we ask in prayer. So here's the prayer that I mentioned a moment to go. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason, I can't tell you about the reason, but there is one, back in the first few verses. I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, all that he is, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now he's writing to Christians. I remember many times when I went to Sunday school when I was a little boy, being encouraged to invite Jesus into my heart. But you know what? Jesus needs to come and live in our hearts. In Revelation 3, Jesus writes to one of the churches and says, you need to invite me back into your hearts. And if one of you does, I'll come and have a feast with him, even if the rest don't. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he was saying. If no one else does, I'll come to you. I'll take anyone who opens their heart. Stand at the door and knock, he says. It's Christians, we, who need Messiah to live in our hearts through faith. And then he goes on, I pray that you, I've got that, that you for some reason, 
being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth, that's four dimensions, how do you figure that? Of God's love and to know, and the word know there is really about experience because understand is intellect but know is experience. To know the Messiah's love which surpasses knowledge. So it's not about how you know it, how you understand it. It's experience that passes knowledge. Experience that passes understanding. Not just, I've reasoned it out, I know it's true. It's more than that. To know Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The scriptures speak about our being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the love of God, filled with the peace of God, filled with joy, with hope, with faith. You see, our heart is a receptacle. It needs to be filled and refilled. One of the issues we're going to talk about this morning, minutes that remain, is we need to be careful what we allow in to our hearts. Because it is like a vessel. You can, it, can, it can fill up with stuff. We need to concentrate on the things that will fill our hearts with what is right and be careful about what we allow in that isn't. So what is the state of my heart? Let's do a little check for a moment. How shall I go from being rather empty to being more filled? The answer is by coming to him and asking of him. It's as simple as that. If you, being evil, know how to do good to your children, Jesus says in the Luke version of that, how much more will the, Holy, will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And with the Holy Spirit, will he not also give all things? Joy, peace, whatever is appropriate, whatever your heart most needs at a particular point in time. That resource is available to you when you will open your heart and invite Jesus to come and fill you. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. Ask God the Father to fill your heart again with peace and joy and love. But having received from God, there is something that flows back to God. It overflows to others as well. We're to love uh, our brothers and sisters, our Christians, particularly, firstly, and then other people more generally as well, because we've received the love of God, not because we're trying to be good, but because we've received the love of God. So what fills our hearts, that's a bit twee, but never mind, I couldn't find a better one. <laughs> Straight from the heart is a rock and roll song, so I didn't want that one either. But. What fills the, our heart comes out of our heart. What's in you comes out of you. Sure as eggs are eggs, as they say. It fills our speech, it motivates our actions. You can hide what you're like, what you feel for a while, but eventually when some pressure's on, it out. Remember this what Jesus said about the way the heart works. Matthew, Mark 7. From within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess. Hmm. When you get a list like this in the Bible, it mixes up all sorts of things. And you think some of these things are bad and some of them are not so bad. But the Bible just says, no, the whole thing, all of it. Stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come within, from within and defile a person. In, Mark, in Luke, rather, Jesus says the kind of opposite this. A good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. Because it's in there it comes out here. An evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. But a good man speaks from the overflow of his heart and acts from the overflow of his heart. The difference is the heart. The nature the core of that being, person's being. Has it been changed? And so, in the last verse of Ephesians 6, my last sermon on Ephesians, 
Paul's last words are, Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you're saved by grace through faith. God's grace did not come with a condition. The grace that saves you, that puts you in Jesus, that makes you accepted, that gives you, gives you eternal life, that, 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 that places you on track to be with him forever, is not, did not come with a condition. But you can experience more of God's grace depending upon a condition. It is love, faith, obedience. You may know the Lord more or less depending on some decisions that you make. You will certainly enjoy him more or less depending on some decisions that you make. And it's in that context Paul says, grace be with those who have undying love for our Lord Jesus. They're going to enjoy something that you might miss out on if you don't qualify. This is not talking here about the grace that makes them a child of God, but such grace as keeps them in the peace and love and faith of God through every storm of life. Having undying, enduring, undiminishing love for the Lord Jesus will bring you into more experience of the grace of God. I want to point out to you that this is not the only letter the Ephesians ever got. There's a later one in the Bible. Do you know that? It's in Revelation chapter 2. And this one didn't come from Paul. It came from Jesus himself. Sent by the hand of his servant John. Revelation 2 verse 4. He writes to the Ephesian church. And he's, he's, he's praised them that they've tested false apostles and found they weren't right and thrown out some false prophets. And they're very good at marking their cards in terms of being sound. Uh, sounds like someone I know. Um, <laughs> but he says this to the church at Ephesus some years later. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. The King James just says, you've abandoned your first love. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Notice that. When the love is straightened, the works start again. Because what's in the heart comes out in speech, action, behavior. A good man produces good things from the good treasure of his heart. But if the treasure is not there, it's diminished. Guess what? The life begins to be less focused. Less productive, less fruitful. Because it's not in his heart anymore. And Jesus challenges the Ephesians. Where have your hearts gone? You don't love me the way you did at first. It's parallel with the other church that he writes to and says, open the door. You know, it, it's a similar statement. And that's the very thing that Paul concludes his letter with. He says, if Jesus says, do you remember Paul's letter? Let me just carry on here. I'm still talking to you about that. Where have your hearts got to? Where is the love you first had? Love for the Lord Jesus. And interestingly there it says for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't write love for God because of course in his time and in our time too people will claim that they love God but they really reject Jesus. So they don't love God no matter how much they claim to because they're following a false religion that dishonors Jesus or whatever. Yeah? People will claim that, oh no, I love God, but I don't, I don't want to do this Jesus business. Well, you don't love God. As Christians, if we love the Lord Jesus, we do love God. Because Jesus is the face of God, the image of God, the icon of God. And then let me go back again to, you know, maybe I'm reminiscing a bit this morning. When I was younger, when I was a kid, teenager, it was language I often heard in church or the little chapel that I went to with my family in those days. So-and-so really loves the Lord. I used to hear that description of people. You know, and I thought, yeah, you're right. So, you know, they are different. They are, yeah. But they, they didn't say, oh, that's a very upright person. They're a very holy person. They just described it in this very simple way. That person really loves the Lord. And I very rarely hear that nowadays. Isn't that interesting? 
But that is where life begins for a Christian believer. And really, it's where it ends. It's what's left when everything else is stripped away. When you became a Christian, and if you haven't, I'll talk to you in a little while, you learned to love things that you didn't love before, didn't you? Things like attending church, being in company with other Christians, worship, prayer, reading the word of God. But most of all, you learned to love the Lord himself. You didn't mind if the song said, I love you, Lord, I really, really love you, Lord, you know, you know with all my heart, I love you, Lord, those kind of songs, you know. You didn't go, ooh, ow, ooh, I'm not sure. What this. It was okay to sing that. You aspired to it, even if you didn't feel it at the time, you aspired to it, you knew that that was true on your better days. But listen to this. When the time comes to become still and quiet, when perhaps old age has reduced your capacity and energy, one thing will remain. Knowing and loving the Lord. And it is the most precious thing. So if everything else is taken away, that cannot be taken away. If you will give your heart to it, to him. And go back to Philippians again. Paul was in a prison cell. He was unable to continue in his travels and service to Christ. And he was sensing that his days were coming to an end. And so he wrote this to the church at Philippi. But everything that was a gain to me, his learning, his Pharisee training and so on, I have considered, and being a Jew of the, the highest order, I consider to be a loss because of Christ, Messiah. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of surpassing value of knowing. And again, knowing is not just intellect, it's also experience. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things. He's in a prison. They're feeding him slops. He's in chains. He's, he's got nothing. I've suffered the loss of all things. And I consider them filth. The things that I've lost are worthless to me. Dung. That I may gain Christ. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal, he was in a jail, which we spell G-A-O-L, but he still has a goal, a G-O-A-L. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. If I die, I'm going to die for Jesus. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. That's a little tongue-in-cheek, that last Satan. He's not thinking he's going to miss it. He's just saying, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm going to die to get there. He had nothing. He's writing letters. That's all he can do. They are magnificent, his prison letters. Absolutely magnificent. But that's all he could do. And pray. And so he pours out his heart in prayers in those letters as well. But he's pursuing something. Chained up, probably sitting on the ground. Maybe in, in an ill-lit basement, cellar room. I'm pursuing knowing Christ. In one of his other letters he says... The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. He's not just pursuing knowing Christ. Well, how else can I understand him? How else, what else? What other scripture could I think about? It's actually relationship with Christ. It's the love of Christ. Love for the Lord is seen in enduring faith and obedience. Love, faith and obedience work together. You can't divide them apart. There is no such thing as disobedient faith in or disobedient love for the Lord. It's, a, it's, it's an oxymoron. It's an idiotic saying. Oh, I love him. I just don't obey him. I have faith, but I'm not going to obey the Lord. 
Do you want to hear Jesus on this rather than me? Let's go, Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. So again, let me just just suggest to you that you will experience more of the love of Jesus for you when you obey him than if you don't. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about what you experience. There again. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it's from the father who sent me. If we love the Lord, we will obey him. We'll do what he asks us. And Jesus says that like over and over there, wrapping it this way around, that way around, so you can't miss it. But look at the delightful promise. I mean, it, like, my word. If you keep my word, my father will love you. And he and I, we will come to you and we'll make our home with you. Christ will dwell in your heart through faith, which includes obedience. See, people think, you know, by having you know, Christ is the unseen guest, you know, on whatever on the, on the on the on a plaque by the dining table. That's Jesus in your home. Now, Jesus in your home means he's in you, yes. <laughs> not a memory on the wall, no. not even a cross on the wall. You know, and I've got a cross on the wall in my office at home. I have nothing against Christian art, but he wants to live in you, not in a building. Yes. And the way we cooperate with him actually increases the measure with which we experience him. So we love the Lord and not wealth and possessions. Remember Jesus told us, no man can be a slave of two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other. Notice that, hate, love, both heart issues. Or devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. We're to keep ourselves free. We're to, Hebrews says, keep yourselves free from the love of money. How do I know I love money? Because when it goes from me, I'm hurt. I'm offended. I've lost some. Where's oh, oh. Something cost me more than I thought was fair. Or oh, oh. Yeah? So, yeah. Listen, we're all in this. We've got to keep working at this attitude about I've got to keep my heart free from the love of money. How do you do that? by recognizing when something's happening, but also by filling it with something better instead. By being filled with the love of God, by being filled with the knowledge of Christ. Love the Lord Jesus more even than you love your family. Jesus said, Matthew 10, the person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. People try to convert the other one to saying you need to Jesus to love Jesus more than money, but actually Jesus says very plainly, don't love money. Scripture says don't love money. There's nothing wrong with loving your family so long as you love Jesus more. More than. More than. John Piper right preaching about marriage one day said Husbands, love your wives, but if you love Jesus more, you'll, you'll get a better wife and a better marriage. Or something like that. If Jesus is first, that second relationship will go a whole heap better. Absolutely. Amen. And we love the Lord for our own good. Do yourself a favor, love the Lord. Do you believe me or shall we go to the scripture? Go to scripture. Thank you. <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> Joshua 23 verse 11. So be very diligent to love the Lord your God for your own well-being. 
It will go better with you. It will go well with you when your heart is fixed on loving the Lord. Amen. Is that scripture? Yes. Is that sound? Yes. yes. God is faithful. He's constant. He's unchanging. But we are variable. We have ups and downs. That's why my Mondays are our day off usually. When we wander astray from the Lord, it's happened in our heart before it happened with our feet. Our heart went astray before our feet went astray. When we stumble and fall from faith and obedience, our hearts went there before our actions did. So the scriptures instruct us again and again to love and to fear the Lord because it's for our own good. Let me give you another one. It's a bit small, isn't it? 1 Kings 8 verse 61. Let your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Again, it's for our good. Fully committed to the Lord our God. Doing what he says. And then another verse from Proverbs that hit me like a thunderbolt like many, many years ago. This is a modern version rather than King James. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do will come out of what's working in there. What motivates you. What you really want. What you, what you long for. What you daydream about. The actions of your life, the direction of your life flows from what is in our hearts. So, above everything else, guard your heart. What about some promises to us? Would you like some promises as well as instructions? The Bible speaks to us in promises. Psalm 31, verse 23. Love the Lord, all his faithful ones. It's an instruction. We can, we can choose not to, and you know, we're, not, we're opting out rather than opting in. Love the Lord, all his faithful ones, because the Lord protects the faithful, but fully repays the arrogant. It's a promise. You who love the Lord, Psalm 97, hate evil because he protects the lives of his godly ones. He rescues them from the power of the wicked. It's a promise. And then this is a confession. I, I can never read this verse without thinking of that Whitney Houston song from uh, the, the, the preacher's movie thing. Preacher's wife. Yeah. I love the Lord. Because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. He answered my prayers, so I love him for that. And so I'm going to keep on praying. Because I like this. I like when I pray he hears me. So I'm going to love him and I'm going to keep praying. I like that. One last one, Psalm 145. I could have given you more. The Lord guards all those who love him. But he destroys all the wicked. These hearts are to produce fruit, having been filled with something. Our hearts are like a, a jug, like a jar. They need to be filled. The fruit of a good heart. Let me remind you of one of the great promises of the new covenant through Ezekiel and Jeremiah. The old covenant was, here's the law, you've got to keep it. Oh, too bad, you can't keep it. Oh, well. Here's some animals to make sacrifices so you just can pay the debt of every time you don't keep the law. New covenant comes in. New covenant is altogether better, altogether greater. Right? Hebrews is all about the new covenant, and we, I preached through that a couple of years ago. Here's one of the promises. I want you to notice this. It's a promise from God. It's about, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone, this unfeeling thing that didn't experience the love of God and was rebellious against him. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that beats. It's alive. It's alive to whom? towards whom? It's alive towards God. I will place my spirit within you. 
and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinance. Notice that you become law keepers rather than law breakers because God has given you what? A new heart. In another place, he says, I'll write my laws in your hearts. You won't see them on a table of stone. You'll see them here. You'll be motivated from within to do the things that he's saying to you. If you're born of God, do not doubt for one moment that God has given you a new heart. Please don't doubt it for one moment. If you know that that you're born of God, you know how you became a Christian, you know when God came came and took hold of you, you know how your life changed at that point in time, I want to tell you on the authority of God's word, he gave you a new heart. It happened. The question is whether we've understood what to do with it since then. How to guard it. How to be careful about what fills it. The New Testament tells us that those whose hearts, and this is other language now from the New Testament, reaching back to this promise, whose hearts have been circumcised, whose hearts are purified through faith, whose hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, we can now do these things. We can obey the Lord from the heart. I'm giving you the scriptures as headlines here. We can do this. We can obey the Lord from the heart. Because we have a new heart. And because it, if it's, when it gets emptied, it can be filled with the love of God, with peace, with joy, with faith. We can serve him from the heart. We can give to him from the heart. Not just, oh, I suppose I'd better, oh, I suppose I'd better, I suppose it's, you know, it's that Sunday in the month. No. Give to him joyfully from the heart. We can sing and make music from our heart to the Lord. And the quality of our worship isn't really the quality of the music. We thank and admire our musicians and singers and thank God for them. But the quality of our worship, personal worship, is the quality of our heart, what, what our hearts are saying to you. Sing and make music from our heart to the Lord. And we can love one another from a pure heart because it's what's in coming out. Rather, oh God, I love so-and-so. God. Having been given a new heart, we need to nurture, we need to receive, we need to be filled again and again with love, faith and obedience to the Lord Jesus. That, that, so that those things flow out from our heart. And we must be careful not to allow old loves to return. Our old love of sin, our old love of money, our old love of ourselves to a wrong level. How many human relationships are broken because an old love returns? How many Christians don't do well in life because an old love has returned? Or they've gone back to their old ways? We're to serve him in newness of life, not oldness of life. Not in the old way, the new way. So, keep our hearts with all diligence. What comes out is what is there. And if what's there isn't good right now, it's just empty, we know where the answer is. We come to him and ask him to fill our heart. Romans 15 says, Now may the God of hope fill you. Did you get that? Fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of peace fill you. I've, I've got it in my head. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the movie where um, the, 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 the woman is hiding as a nun, you know, and she's leading a choir. What's Sister act, yes. And there's a scene at the end when they're singing, you know, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And then somebody starts riffing, fill us, you know, fill us. I just want, I felt I wanted to sing that. This one, fill us. May the God of hope fill us, fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow. 
with hope. See, when you're full, guess what? You overflow. You get tipsy in the right way. You start tipping out on people something that's good. Because your heart is full. Your heart is good. But we've got to be careful about what we allow back into our hearts. God gave you a new heart when you believe. Be careful about what fills it. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to guard it. But to fill it instead with the knowledge of him and of his love and of his joy and of his peace. So I'm not saying this is going to be like 24-7. But there will be moments again and again and again when you just taste again the goodness, the sheer profound love of God. Listen, a moment of experiencing his love will set you up for the rest of your day. At least. How do I say that? I know it's true. I know it's true. And Jesus is concerned for your heart. To have it and to fill it. He spoke to the churches like that. One last verse and then we're going to gather together to break bread. I just love this one. This is my prayer for you right now. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's obedience. So that because you've received his love, you love him and are obedient to him. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's obedience. Amen. Let's pray.